everyone. Welcome to the Style Forum Happy Hour. This is the first podcast that we've done. And we have on the mic with us Ariana Reggio and Mike Kuhl. You want to introduce yourselves? Hi, everyone. I'm Ariana, and you might know not know me directly, but I manage Style Forum's social media, and I am also a content manager. Hi, everyone. This is Mike Kuhl. I am the owner and designer of Epaulette. Um, I've been a, uh, been a Style Forum regular on the streetwear and denim side uh, for a little over 10 years. And I'm Peter Zotolo. You may know me on Style Forum and Instagram as Urban Composition. And I just like clothes. That's pretty much it. <laughs> Don't we all? Nothing more, yes. nothing less. This podcast is sponsored in part by Spear and McKay. Ever need a great suit or shirt at a reasonable price? Spear and McKay offers one of the best values on the market today, combining fabrics sourced from around the world with classic tailoring to provide you with a garment you can be proud of. In fact, they were named one of the top five value-driven brands by Parisian gentlemen. Visit them at spearandmckay.com and don't forget to mention Style Forum. Topic of our first broadcast is going to be brick and mortar versus e-commerce. Is that right, Ari? That's right. In fact, I wanted to start by talking about an article that I recently read from the Business of Fashion, The Rules of Brick and Mortar Retail. It talks about one of the newest retail concepts, which is transaction-less, inventory-less, such as the new conservatory in New York. At the conservatory, shoppers can try on any of the items on display. There are no conventional racks in sizes 0 to 12. Purchases will be processed through brands' websites rather than the store and then shipped by the brands to customers' homes. So next-generation stores have e-commerce built into their DNA with a goal of seamlessly blending customers' online and in-store experience. At a minimum, that means continuously rolling out new products and offering amenities that go beyond the merchandise. Because I believe that the conservatory in New York also has a coffee shop in it. Do you guys have any experience with stores like the conservatory in New York? I know, Peter, you live in San Francisco, which is a tech city. I do. And now that you mention that, my wife shops at ModCloth fairly often. And there's a storefront just down the street about a mile away on Fillmore. And it's similar to the conservatory in that it doesn't really have any stock, but it does have all of the sizes there that you can try on. And Hmm. after trying them on, my wife says, oh, I'm a size eight or 10 or four or whatever. And it gets shipped not from the store, but from the e-commerce website. And in fact, all of the, exactly from the brand directly. And in fact, all of the transaction is done online. And if returns need to be done, it's all done online. So there's a version of that here in San Francisco. That's just one example of many here in San Francisco. That's interesting. So that's kind of like a far-fetch, but in real life, right? You can browse items and then they get shipped to you from the brand itself. And uh, more than that, you can try them on physically because one of my wife's beefs from shopping (laughs) online is you can never know if it actually fits you even oh though... i understand your wife's concerns because women's sizes are all over the place yeah i can tell you that 
Um, you know, I'm not familiar with this brand. So do they have like relatively consistent designs? They do. They have uh, vintage flair to their designs. Um, and if one fit works for my wife, then it's probable that other dresses or other skirts or other tops that are similar to that will fit the same. So that's a little gotcha. bit of a, yeah, it's a little bit of a safety net and a little bit of a way for her to decide what she wants next. Oh, I like that shirt in red. Hmm. I'll get it in blue. Okay. And yeah. do they, do they have any uh, menswear? Do they carry any menswear brands? They all? don't. They don't. No. Hmm. I've yet to see anything like that in menswear. Not that I don't think that men would be well, willing to try that, but I have yet to see. You it. have bonobos. That's true. So I, I've, I've actually been to one Bonobos showroom, uh, but it's funny. Um, I mean, I take a lot of customers who are, let's say, Bonobos expatriates uh, because they bought Bonobos pants and they want uh, they want a pair of pants that's better. Um, and the interesting thing is I actually hear uh, I hear from a lot of customers who are really frustrated by the Bonobos experience. Why is that? I mean, it, they're, they're frustrated because they go into the store and it is, it's, it's much like this showroom. So I think Bonobos shops... Originally, I believe when they first opened, you actually couldn't take anything out of them. They were pure showrooms. So you would just go in there, try on stuff, choose it, you know, write up your order with uh, the help of the sales associate, and then we ship that merchandise afterwards. Now that you uh, mentioned that, that, yeah, there is one yeah. of those in San Francisco, again, not too far away. And that is the first yeah. thing I noticed. And when they did say that they didn't have anything right there in stock, I was a little, aw. Let down, yeah. wind taken out of I my think sails. You can take stuff now, but even even still, you know they have a much wider assortment than what's represented in these small these small storefronts. Do you think that's a good thing, a bad thing? Seems to make sense to me. Um, I thought it was just always interesting that the customers were so frustrated by this um, because you would assume Bonobos has consistent fits on their shirts and their pants. So you know the idea of trying on a pant, determining that you're size thirty three and whatever fit. And then having someone take you through all the colors and all the different options and hopefully be knowledgeable about the fabrics would seem like a good idea to me. But um, a lot of guys were, were frustrated that they were taking the time and effort to go to the store, um, were unable to take the stock items with them and wear them immediately. Exactly. Um, like that, that's what like, comes to mind. It's, uh, wouldn't you be disappointed that you go out shopping and then you don't get to walk out with what you just bought? I mean, that, that takes, they take away a little bit of the excitement about the shopping experience itself. <laughs> that is true. There is a little bit and, of that. And yes. I'll tell you, I bet, I bet that one dynamic about it is that it's probably also really frustrating to then like go through that process with a sales associate. Um, something that I always knew from my stores, uh, I used to have four retail stores at one point. I had three in New York City. Um, you know, a lot of people, they just want to come in and they just want to be left alone. They want to browse, um, they want to pick something out and try it on, and they want to do it without any interaction with sales help at all, unless they specifically request it. So if you're at Bonobos and you, you're forced to go through this whole rigmarole just to get, what, a pair of chino pants in navy versus khaki, because they only have khaki on the floor and you want navy, could be frustrating for a lot of people who just kind of don't have the time or the desire to do that. I, um, I run a showroom here out of uh, out of Los Angeles and I mean this is exactly what I do people come by and they get sized and then we order stuff for them but all of this is custom right so, so it's, it's, it's a much that deeper you just experience them right away from your warehouse Correct. yeah I'm not just like oh yeah try this on mm -hmm. and then I'll send you a pair in green you know you're, you're choosing all the details and being taken through and designing your own garment getting something made with your name in it can I ask what the percentage of those that like to be left alone 
is? Is it a high percentage? Is it half and half? Is it most? Oh, if I had to estimate from my stores, like 80%. Wow, seriously? Definitely. Seriously, yeah. So would you say that those customers, I guess since you don't really interact with them too much unless they're at the till, would you say that those customers do most of their interaction with the store before they even come into the store? On some cases. I mean, there's definitely people who just like to go in and browse. And, uh, you know, I would always be very careful with my staff, um, you know, just kind of like instruct them that when a customer walks in, we say hi, then we give them some time to breathe a couple minutes. Um, and then after that, yes, can I help you with anything? And then that's really it. And then if a customer would kind of linger on a product for five minutes and try it on and the product had some kind of story, which of course always it did because we're product nerds over here. Um, we would then like start talking about the product a little bit, but, um, I would always be very conscious to try to avoid like the kind of like the chummy hard sell that uh, that you get at a lot of shops. How, because how would you say the customers heard of the store? Was it word of mouth? Was it um, seeing it physically, or was it online research? Uh, probably half and half. About half people would would know ahead of time um, through Styleform or Reddit, or through some kind of write up that we would get. But I also I had stores in pretty good locations. So people would also just be walking by or be kind of shopping in those neighborhoods and happen upon it. So would it be safe to say that brick and mortar is not dead because obviously location, 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 you chose a good place to have it, but also having an online presence does serve as well. Would it be safe to say that? I'd say so. I'd say it's a mixture of of location and um, targeted merchandise. Hmm. And I, you know, and I know this, this example is, is always like getting kind of tired how much it's trotted out, but, uh, but it's worth mentioning the, uh, the Supreme store in New York city, they moved locations. I just went there last week. Um, and, uh, their new location is on the Bowery and it was a heat advisory in New York because it was over a hundred degrees and, uh, mayor Bill de Blasio was telling people to <laughs> stay indoors and there was still a line like three blocks long well, of, course of people who were it's clearly going to get stuck waiting outside for an hour, but you know, they're doing it because they have the merchandise that people want. Yeah, they can do that. Cool location too. I mean, also, also a good location. You mentioned that yeah. um, there was a line outside for mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of feet in 105 degree weather and people were sweating yep. and suffering because of the merchandise. Mm-hmm. How many of those people were outside waiting because they knew ahead of time what was going to drop? Uh, well, it's hard to say. Um, I, to say. I think that, yeah, I mean, Supreme is kind of a, it's a little bit of an outlier in all this. Um, I think a lot of people just wait online there because there's money to be made reselling it, you know, kind of no matter what you buy, because there's only a, I think Supreme has an e-commerce site. I actually don't know. I'm pretty they sure that do. they do, but they sell they like, yeah, they sell like a very small amount of stuff on there. So, you know, maybe people are going in there to get stuff for friends or family there. Well, I guess also it's easier to get stuff from the physical store than it is online because it literally sells out in seconds. So it's yeah. easier to spend also, in a line and, you know, you probably have a better chance at walking mm-hmm. away with something. They also yeah. announce what they're going to drop ahead of time so that people are aware. I guess what I'm trying to get to is uh, they're, they definitely have an online presence that people are waiting for with bated breath to see what is going to drop and when. And then there is the physical option of going there and suffering through whatever it is they have to in order to get that in hand. So uh, to the point of what you were saying, it does help to have 
a good location, but it also helps to have some kind mm -hmm. of online presence to alert people ahead of time or to let them know what they currently have in stock and when, right? Right. Yeah, I think just uh, you know, brick and mortar. If if the question is brick and is brick and mortar dead, uh, you know, in terms of selling clothing and footwear, uh, the answer is no. But it's a lot harder than it used to be, and you require a very targeted assortment. You require really smart management of space and expenses, and um, and yeah, you require some kind of online component. Uh, with uh, with hype and advertising. What are Mike, in your opinion, um, as a brand owner, uh, what are the strengths mm -hmm. of brick and mortar right now that online just can't compete with? I think brick and mortar, uh, brick and mortar brings a uh, brings a, a really great physical experience right. to to the idea of a product, the idea that you're going to interact with something. Um, I think what was I reading? Um, I was reading about Stadium goods. Are you guys familiar with stadium goods? No. no. Okay, and sorry that I'm throwing out like five million streetwear references. <laughs> no, 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 here. no, keep going. <laughs> Please go I'm ahead. Not, I'm not a big, I'm not a big streetwear customer. It's just really like you know a lot of I feel the innovation in brick and mortar retail is being done by these entities. So they're they're really interesting to me. So stadium goods is a as a resale company. Uh -huh. um, it's not that old. Let's say it's five years old. Something like this. Um, you know, they're dealing with uh, they're dealing with Nikes and Vuitton. And Supreme and all this kind of stuff, okay. um, and they were just recently purchased as part of a, a large investment um, and acquired. And the guys who founded it just got this huge check written. So is anyway. it like a niche eBay, for lack of a better term? Yeah, um, it's like a, there's another one called StockX. Um, there's a few different entities which uh, which have really leveraged uh, the idea of reselling luxury and collectibles streetwear items. So targeted consignment. Uh, correct. Okay. Correct, and they were they were smart in a hundred different ways because I believe that they they originally like they would get stuff in. So let's say somebody brings a Supreme skateboard to Stadium Goods. They're not only putting it in a store, but they're sticking on a website. They were selling it through Amazon. They were selling it through Chinese marketplaces. Uh, they were selling it through Japanese marketplaces, and and you know taking the time and effort to to translate this and kind of get it out to the exact customers who are interested in this okay. product. Um, but but all that um, you would think that this is a what a perfect business model to only have an online representation when you can when you can be selling on all these exchanges in all these different asian countries why the hell would you want the time and expense of, of opening running a storefront right. in new york city because it is a hysterical pain in the ass to do that i'll tell you this from first-hand knowledge but um the owner felt that this was this was really necessary and that in the eyes of their potential consumers this gave them an air of legitimacy that their competitors did not have because when you went to stadium goods and you bought this rare pair of collectible air jordans um you saw that there was a shop you saw that there was a, a presence on instagram and people inside a store you have the idea oh wait i could actually go and interact with these people if i went to new york if i lived there so it gives the customer a, a more of a grounding and more of a sense of trust so having a brick and mortar store is a way to solidify yourself in that field as something legitimate. Correct, I think so. The Style Forum Happy Hour is sponsored in part by Carmina. Elegance, timeless quality. Their patterns are true originals with manufacturing know-how continuously refined since their founding in 1866. It's no wonder that Style Forum members are fans of their Goodyear welded shoes. 
Ramin and Style Forum have collaborated since 2015 with trunk shows and exclusive group made-to orders organized within their thread. I have my eyes on their Chelsea boots for my husband and if he's listening, I would love a pair of the Jadfur boots for myself. Browse their new collection on Shoemaker.com and if you're in New York, drop in and visit their original location or their second location, opening soon. Peter, I have a question for you. Yeah, tell me. And it is the role that social media plays in brick and mortar. Um, the same article that I was quoting before says that things like backdrops and installations at physical stores can encourage free publicity online. As in, people go to the physical store and there's like an interesting uh, installation that you can just take a picture of yourself, a selfie or whatever, right. and post it online. And An now I know that, exactly like I know that you are quite active online uh, on style forum as well as Instagram. So how do you feel about this uh, trend? Um, I don't think that translates much into menswear insofar as my experience and those people that I'm interested in or those trends that I follow don't do that. Don't do, do that know. as much, right? No, not terribly. I do know that some places are Instagrammable. They have a fancy mural or they have a, a great neon sign. That Something that's looks... recognizable at the very yeah. end. That you but can... they, don't, yeah, yeah. they don't do that much when it comes to a fashion shoot or when they're trying on clothes. Because... Um, it, it's so small that either you focus on, and by it, I mean the, the three by four or the square photo is only so big and you only right. have room for either the background or the article of clothing itself. If you have both, it, it tends to be too busy. So I don't see that so much. In the niche that you are interested in, which is classic menswear mostly right yeah but not even so much in streetwear mike may be able to answer this if he's more involved in that field than i am i don't see too much of that do you mike no no i can't say i've seen that what i have seen is and i created a thread about this because it was very interesting to me is i have seen an increase in either designers themselves or curators of designers for their stores modeling the clothes and then posting themselves on social media as a way to not that they're trying to be influencers but as a way to, to drive sales. model yeah. to drive sales exactly as a way to model their particular clothing that they have and I'll give you a perfect example a black shirt. A black shirt is a black shirt is a black shirt. There's nothing mm -hmm. fancy. But um, when I saw on Bryceland's, when I saw it modeled on one of the co-founders of the store with a suit, and then I saw it modeled again in a more casual environment with jeans, then I thought, oh, that is something that could fit in my wardrobe as opposed to just seeing it on a hanger. So there's obviously the benefit of what Mike was saying, of having a legitimate storefront, which they have, and going in there and seeing it on a hanger. And then there is the benefit of driving interest by seeing it online, because let's be honest, that's where all the eyes are, are online. 
as opposed to in store. But if I see it modeled in a way that says or that can see how it would fit in my wardrobe, then that's another way to drive sales. And I think I see that way more often now than I used to. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely correct. And those those guys are great too. To kind of symbolize that, um, I always thought that uh, Alan and Mark from the Armory did that better than anybody. Precisely. Oh, those great. Those yeah. guys are great. Always, yeah. you know, always looking great in the clothes, you know, and being very. The photography is on point. Yeah, being being very relatable, like having a really good having a really good tone to everything. Right, they're not over the um, top. Like you can very much right. relate to what they're wearing and the scenes that you see them in the pictures. Right. But yeah. Um, but so, how, Peter, how is this different than seeing like regular, quote unquote, influencers, like bloggers or Instagrammers? How is that any um, different? I think it, that's a really good question. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> thought about the, the difference between that and just a regular Joe Schmo. I, I think what, what the difference is. Well, and, and, and I'm talking about, you know, bigger influencers, but also micro influencers so just like regular people that you might follow just because you like their style they're without any they don't have any pretense to be a personality online but they did you know they just happen to um wear clothes that you like and have a style that you appreciate so how I does think... that play with you in this instance like do they influence you in the same way or do you take into a higher account the brand owners and the uh, shop owners? Um, if I were to take them all as, or if I were to answer your question is, which one do I give more importance to? Is that what you're asking? Yes, that's what I'm asking. Uh, I would say I would give more importance to the regular guy, mm-hmm. but it's very often that the regular guy has no sense of style. (laughs) (laughs) And by that, I mean not only in the way that they pair whatever it is that they're wearing, but also in the way that it's photographed, in the environment in which they're photographed, the lighting. Um, And these people are in the business of clothes because they have a good eye. So um, usually those who are in the business make better pictures. Usually they have better lighting they have better cameras but so it's just purely aesthetics isn't it yeah exactly it is to be honest i'm a sucker for a good aesthetics no i mean it's totally understandable i am too you know i'll say i'll say when it comes to actually selling people to stuff uh when you when you actually try to sell clothes to people um there is a huge value towards having images of things on regular guys. Um, I can't tell you how many times in my style form thread, you know, when I, whenever I design anything new and, uh, and we launch it, I try to shoot it both in the studio and in natural light. Um, and sometimes um, if I have the time, I'll even do like a quick video of each item. So I really throw a lot of, a lot of content at, uh, at anybody coming to my website. There's also like way too much text. Like, uh, I recognize this is the problem. So, uh, and the reason why I'm saying this is, you know, you come there, you want to buy a jacket from me, you're going to get assaulted with just a lot more copy and content than most websites. Even still, on my thread, people will say, hey, does anybody have a picture of this in the wild? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because ultimately, seeing that garment on a regular person, um, seeing that on somebody they can relate to, who they trust, who they feel has an unbiased opinion, 
is uh, is really valuable. Right, which That's is a, where style forum comes in, and it's very important, you know, because you have regular people just posting pictures of them wearing clothes in the wild. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think if if everything were equal, Mike, for example, if you had your uh, fan, well, fancy is a terrible word, but if if you had your well lit, uh, properly designed, yeah, your fancy photos, it just rolls uh-huh. off the tongue, though, doesn't it? If you had your fancy, it does photos. sound nice. Yeah, I get what you're saying. But if you had a regular guy on the street do that, and you had the store owner do that, and mm-hmm. it was the exact same photo with the exact same environment and lighting and camera, I would give more credence to the guy on the street because he's not coming from a biased or from a standpoint of someone who's trying to make a buck but he's saying this is something i really dig and you might too yeah so i I think that does have a lot of value for me anyway yeah yeah i mean influencers are certainly they're an unbelievably powerful force if you want to market clothes and if I was if I was a smarter retailer, I'd probably use them. You don't use them, Mike. But, uh, I don't. I don't. No, I don't. And you know, and it's dumb. And and I'll, I'll be the first person to admit that it's short sighted. I would certainly be doing. Tell me more because I'm interested. Why don't you use them? This is this is just me. Like I, you know, like I have a lot of guys on, you know, who, who tag us right. on Instagram, and they take amazing pictures. Um, there's one person if if I could give him a big shout out. His username is J Roby. R-O-B-I-E. He lives here in LA. Um, great customer, really stylish guy. Um, I put him almost on like an urban composition level, if you know what I'm saying. He takes really good photos <laughs> oh, that's a and big dresses compliment. very well. It's a big compliment. He's got really good taste. Um, and I've never given him anything. He's never asked me for a discount. He's a regular shopper mm-hmm. um, who just appreciates quality classic menswear and he takes great photos. Um, and I really appreciate it. Whenever I see his pictures, um, I always put them into Instagram stories and tag him and I'll show them off. Um, and the idea that I've got this guy um, who's a great customer and who's supporting the stuff that we do and making things in America um, versus just some random jackass mm-hmm. with 40,000 followers who every day is just like, oh, here's some horrible watch that someone gave me and then they paid me $500 to model and I'm just going to be scowling or not scowling because half of the influencers cut their heads off in pictures. Um, the idea that I'm going to give this person something or I'm going to pay them something while I've got actual customers who really take it upon themselves to great, take great photos, I just can't do it. I'm not sleeping mm-hmm. at night, even if I would sell more stuff. Right. So. No, I understand that. And <laughs> that's my like, that's my big tirade on influencers. No. no, I have to agree with you. I yeah, I, I follow Jay Robbie too because I think he's mm-hmm. uh, a a great guy. He's got a fantastic sense of style, and he takes good pictures. And he supports the kind of brands and the kind of stores that I'm interested in. But more to the point of what you're talking about, he displays them well. He pairs them well. Mm-hmm. And that speaks to me as opposed to someone who pairs it just with some random tchotchke that he finds in his closet or as opposed to just seeing the clothes on a hanger. Here's someone who does not have anything, um, he doesn't have any attachment to the store other than he's a fan. And that yeah. speaks to me as as someone who, oh, well, he's not being influenced by them. Or maybe he gets a little bit of kickback, whatever. But at least there's a little bit more legitimacy. You see it as more. That. 
real and less, you know, less of an, an ad. We, we, we all I, see I too many ads on Instagram. Or um, you have someone who, for example, uh, you, Mike, or any of the other people that we have on the forum, like Greg and Kyle from No Man Walks Alone or the guys from Bryceland's, they have a very um, pointed style. They don't just stock their stores with everything. They stock their stores with things that they really like. And they mm -hmm. pair them with other things in the store that they really like. And so having that kind of a pointed sense of style appeals to me as opposed to, oh, here's an orange shirt. Well, what am I going to wear with that orange shirt? And so that uh, seeing how they use it and seeing how they dress it and combine it because it's something that they're passionate about as opposed to having thousands of SKUs in their store. You have so much inspiration going on. And not just from influencers, mm -hmm. but from, from the brand themselves. Like you go to the website and you see the model wearing a full outfit that you can shop in the same page. Yeah. Yeah. I had to, I had to really pay attention and kind of update and get better photography on my site just a few years ago. Cause you know, we, I launched my website in 2009 and yeah, at the time I remember looking at like places like Barney's and Stephen Allen, <laughs> the, the Stephen oh, Allen wow. website, seriously. It looked like it was like it was shot with like a like a Game Boy camera. <laughs> it was really like the worst pictures I've ever seen in my life on any website was the Stephen Allen site, and they you know they're clearly spending a good amount yeah. of money on it. And I remember thinking like, oh, I got a Canon five D. I'm already taking better pictures than this. Are you sure that wasn't just you know, your fifty six K modem rendering? That, <laughs> that right, right, kind of grinding and making all those noises as I log on to see the yeah. shirts. Uh, no, no, yeah, and then. You know, and then I even I got by for a long time with, uh, you know, just kind of doing really basic photography or I would always like photograph, uh, photograph our stuff just on my employees, always outside in the street in Brooklyn or the Lower East Side. And uh, and this worked. This worked just fine until like a couple of years ago when I realized like everybody had really upped their game. And I'm like, wow, OK, I got to hire models. I have to get like a proper studio set up. Right. Yeah. It's way better now than it's ever been. I think it's also due to the fact that technology is more accessible like you can get professional cameras mm -hmm. for way less than you know totally so basically everyone who is just starting an online boutique can take excellent pictures which is you know a grand of investment in mm -hmm. technology and photography equipment yeah can i ask mike just to because i'm we've been rambling on for a while now at least a half hour <laughs> i don't know if we have a limit mm -hmm. here but for the future would you say that you are going to invest more in digital, more in brick and mortar, or the one that you choose, where exactly in that are you going to put more energy? For example, if it's brick and mortar, is it more in finding a better space? Or if it's in digital, is it more in photography? Or as you mentioned, maybe finding an influencer that uh, is on the same wavelength as you? What, 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 what do you think is going to happen in the future for you? Uh, for us. So yeah, um, right now I, I went from, yeah, owning four storefronts to just having a showroom in Los Angeles, which is open by appointment. So people can come by and visit it, but there's no one staffing it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not open on weekends, although sometimes we are, but, um, it's a far, far smaller commitment than, uh, than I used to have in any physical space. Um, definitely, 
you know, from my perspective, I'm a huge fan of online retail. I always have been. Um, you know, it's funny, like when I, I had a store in Santa Monica briefly, um, only for about a year, oh, wow. uh, I learned the great, yeah, I learned an amazing lesson. So one really important lesson for everybody is if you think you want to open a men's store in Santa Monica, don't. <laughs> unless don't. you sell surfer clothes. Yeah, unless, you, unless, you're, unless you're opening up Supreme <laughs> Santa Monica, because you can apparently put a Supreme store freaking anywhere and people will yeah. wait online for two hours it was you know compared to new york it was not that expensive i was paying six grand a month for a beautiful corner space it's just that no one cared and it blew my mind when i opened the store and i was always doing like uh shipping out of it you know i've always like shipped stuff out of my stores i've never had a warehouse or anything so it's all still pretty diy and uh you know i'd be i'd be shipping things to like colvin city i'd be shipping things to brentwood i'd be sending stuff to places which are maybe a 10 or 15 minute drive so, so digital, you know, just kind of online marketing. Yeah, I think it provides a, a vastly superior shopping experience. You have, you know, you have all of all of these options. You you're able to see this product and shop within your own schedule and at your convenience. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, I do love to throw a lot of information at customers um, in terms of photos and story and text. And um, and you know just to, like tie it back to a point, um, a lot of times when people would come into a physical shop, they would go over to let's say a pair of Alden shoes, a pair of uh, Alden Shell Cordovan indie boots, okay. and part of me would be chomping at the bit to sit there and tell them all about the shape of the indie boot, the Shell Cordovan. How do you know that comes made. from a um, horse's butt? <laughs> yeah, they love that story. They love the horse's butt story, you know, and I like. Like a thousand years ago, I went to Alden and I filmed the video with uh, with everyone there. It's still on Vimeo. Um, We're gonna I'm link slightly it. embarrassed by the production box. quality of it, but you can you anyone can watch it. It had to be subtitled because I didn't have an external <laughs> microphone. You can't hear anything at a shoe factory. Um, but yeah, you know, I would want to tell them all this story, and you know, nine times out of ten, guys don't want to hear it or just get annoyed and they just want to browse. But online, you can do all this stuff at your leisure, and you can go and dive as deep into it as you want. Uh, so. Um, in terms of, uh, to your question, Peter, you know, if I had a pie chart of my efforts, 90% of it would be in expanding digital and making more products and making a better website and bringing in more functionality, trying to reach more customers, being better at advertising. Um, I do think that the physical aspect is important, um, something that I've been really remiss on for the past few years been trunk shows. I used to do them pretty frequently, and I got to say they're really rewarding in terms of both sales and uh and just customer interaction it's a really nice thing to do to get out yeah. there and just see people in person and for them to connect with you and trunk shows are a wonderful like social experience yeah. for everybody you know the, the great thing about style forum just you know in general and, and also like these these you know kind of independent brands that style forum nurtures has as part of its community is that, that it's fun to shop with them it's a fun community to be with. You know, I sell a lot of dress pants, not because guys can't figure out where to get a pair of dress pants. There's obviously right. plenty yeah. of them out there. You don't have to get them from me. You don't have to get them made through Hurling, but it's an experience to do that. And people like the the personal connection of it. So, so to that end, yeah, doing more trunk shows, trying to be more personal with people is big. And I wouldn't totally discount the idea of me owning another storefront in the future but it's also really clear to me that if i did that it would have to be very experience focused and very targeted something that an uninitiated person would come in off the street and kind of understand right. exactly what was going on and want to interact with 
Um, my store in Santa Monica was doomed for a bunch of different reasons. And I wasn't alone. Uh, who are those guys in San Francisco? Union Made. Union Made opened up mm-hmm. a beautiful store close yeah. to mine and it went out of business. Um, Leather Soul had a wonderful store in Beverly Hills and went out of business. And I know Sid Mashburn has a store in, um, in Brentwood and who knows how long that'll be around. Most, <laughs> most, most men's stores in our, in our kind of realm meet their doom. In a, in that area of LA. Mike, what do you think about pop-up shops? Because those are really hot right now. I wonder if they really work. Does anybody know? I think it's actually beneficial for brands to see how they're doing in the real world. On paper, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. On paper, it sounds yeah. like a great idea. Setting up a store is this huge fixed cost. You know, you're going to sign a lease. Um, you're going to be stuck on that for five years. And if you want to get out of it earlier, it's this huge pain in the ass. You're going to hire a lawyer to evaluate the lease. You're going to spend all this money to get the internet working and the electricity mm-hmm. and the initial taxes. And maybe you have to put in a, a wheelchair ramp. So there's always like these huge, huge capital expenses to even setting up a really simple and small shop. So pop-up shops seem really attractive because you generally pay a far bigger monthly rent. But it's for a shorter period of work, time. But it's for a shorter time and you don't have all this commitment. Right. Um, but that said, like so much of owning a store is like, you know, people don't even find out about you for a couple months. So I think pop-up stores work for really hot oh, yeah. brands. So maybe like, that yeah. That people are coming to anywhere. Or in really um, hot locations. But for a normal like shop. Like the Santa Monica Boulevard. Promenade. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I imagine like I imagine you could open up like a, a pop up shop for a not that exciting brand there and probably do like zero business. <laughs> for real. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not even trying to be funny, you know, like what um, a downer. Like, <laughs> well like let's think about uh like who's a brand who's a brand that I like? Um I like um Grandstone. Grandstone. Okay. On the Santa Monica Promenade? No, I can't see them do Yeah, very... like imagine that. I think they I've seen people wear Grandstone shoes. They look really nice. Um I've spoken with Wyatt before from Grandstone. He's a great guy. So they have good products and they definitely have customers. I think that if they opened up a pop up store on the Santa Monica Promenade, it would be yeah. really difficult. Sure. Definitely. Maybe just you know, a trunk they... show in an existing store. In a yeah, trunk store. shows trunk yeah. shows are great. Like something like the blog yeah. in LA. I have heard yeah. of pop-up shops within existing stores. So, for example, Beige Halliburton. I'm I'm mm-hmm. pronouncing it terribly. It's, it's, <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know how to, it's, it's it's French, so I'll say Beige. <laughs> um, that's terrible. That, that sounds exactly like it French. Is, I practiced. It's <laughs> uh, they have a pop-up shop within their existing store, so that they can showcase other brands. Um, yeah. I know that other people have done the same yes, thing. Yes, I think so that Sofa be... actually was uh, a brand. There you go. Mm. Perfect. Yeah? I think Perfect you also example. visited them, right, Peter? I did. That was when they were at, um, they were in Culver City, mm-hmm. right? Mm. I believe they went to, oh, I can't think of the name of the store. This is terrible. It was Josh Peskowitz's store. Yeah, I can't. Oh, magazine. magazine. Right. Magazine. Right. Yeah. And it was great. So I think if it's an existing store, you don't have to. It's just for a couple of days. Uh, Okay, wait. So actually, since since we're talking about that, so magazine closed. And they were a great store and he was a good buyer and he had great taste and really good press. Why do you think it didn't work? That's a really good question. They did have a very narrow. I mean, they had really good. Obviously, Josh has fantastic taste and they chose. Uh, or he chose really good stuff from really good brands. They did not um, have e-commerce. Oh, uh, that's true. Very good point. Even a store like that with legendary amounts of press, but without a strong 
online presence. Yeah. The same thing happened a, a few years ago. That uh, I knew the guys well from Carson Street Coders. Right. If, if either you're familiar with that, and they also they had a beautiful store and. But no e-commerce. I think they did have an e-commerce site. They did have an e-commerce site. It did not seem to be like a big focus. For oh, them. okay. More of an afterthought. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, I guess the big takeaway from all this is still brick and mortar means something, but the future is Online. still in digital. Yes, it is. Now it's mm -hmm. the end of the podcast, but before we go, what things are making us happy? In menswear? Anything. Uh, menswear, women's wear. Well, I don't know. this is a Disneyland. happy hour. The thing that's making me happy right now is mm -hmm. my white Negroni that I'm sipping on that I have been sipping on this whole time. <laughs> uh, and if I get, if I can yeah. give you guys a tip, if you ever go to Italy, uh, you should you should Please seek do. this uh, liquor which is called Strega. Oh, uh, that's amazing! That's my wife's. Of course, oh that's my wife's favorite so liqueur. It's like Galliano on steroids. <laughs> Well, people usually describe it as a, a lighter chartreuse. It has lots of herbs. Mm -hmm. and oh, it's it way is... stronger than chartreuse. Are you crazy? No, it's not. No, it's not. It is way lighter than chartreuse. And I know because I've been drinking chartreuse as well. Because oh, okay. I live like, well, when I'm in Italy, um, my parents' place is like two hours from the chartreuse abbey in France. Oh, okay. So I'm familiar with both yeah. liqueurs. <laughs> You got that. So how do you? You're up on that chartreuse. How, how do you? What do you use this to make a white Negroni? Is that what you're saying? It's, yes. So you can make a white Negroni with that and have, um, you know, gin, uh, sweet vermouth, and strega on ice, and that's oh. that's way way lighter than a regular Negroni. Okay, I'll have to make Good. one for my wife. That sounds that sounds amazing. I'll have to try that. It's difficult to find. But it is. It's very difficult to find here in the U.S. and very expensive, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but if yeah. you guys ever uh, go to Italy, which I know you, Peter, you do. Uh, Every now and then. Yeah, you have to bring back a bottle. It's it's so versatile. So amazing. So that's okay. what makes me happy. What about you guys? Okay. Man, uh, I don't know. You go first, Mike. Oh, okay. Pleats. Pleats make me happy. Pleated pants. Oh, Pleats. that. Uh, for sure it has been a, because it, there's you know like double pleats single pleats yeah i feel like you know every year i'm like okay this is the year this is the year that pleats are really happening they have been for a while i mean sort of so so i sell a lot of pants it's it's a really like backbone of my business and even still like plain fronts are overwhelmingly preferred um, you know, and I, and I fit a lot of people in person. So I guess the thing that I've seen is out of like the average customer, like the guy who gets a referral to come to me to get, to get, you know, a pair of made to order pants done. Um, I've seen the attitude go from, Hey, uh, would you like a pair with pleats? And that guy saying, Oh, hell no. Are you crazy? <laughs> to like, well, maybe let me start with the plain fronts. They'll see how that mm -hmm. works out. And then I'll look at the pleats after that. So um, I can see that the ice is cracked. And I do think that pleats are a great look. Um, I don't know. It's just very cool to see them coming back. Um, I'm making like a bunch of models with them now. They always just look phenomenal on guys, uh, especially in pictures. So uh, I'm happy. I'm happy that pleats have returned. Very cool. Any pleats fans out there, check Epaulette out. We'll link the <laughs> affiliate for it down below. 
I'm still not stocking any pleats, so so everybody has to oh, we can, you to know, pair, subscribe pair to the brand. Whenever I stock pleated pants, and, uh, it never happens. Right. But I just, God, I remember like you know my first job uh, straight out of college. I, I was an assistant buyer at Lord and Taylor um, at their at their at their story New York flagship, which is now owned by WeWork and might be purchased by Amazon. I was oh, wow. reading today. Um, yeah, but I worked at that at that kind of ancient store, and um, you had to wear a suit. Every day, this was the dress code in retail, like right when I started. They also still had fax machines. And um, <laughs> all of us were, you know, not not making a lot of money and trying to figure out, like, what kind of suit we could get, you know, and, and like, not spend that much. And um, at the time, there was a, a $200 cotton suit from Nautica where wow. I would get, like, a 25% employee discount. This was the rock bottom price you could get on a suit. And uh, I was so destroyed to find out that the pants only came with fleece. Nah. And I was like, no, why can't I get, you know, where's the plain fronts? That's what's happening now that it's 1999. Right. So so now it's it, it'd be cool to see pleats come back as a default. 1999, I was working in a department store, too. I was working in Emporio Armani on Grand Street. Wow. You didn't. I did. How about really? that? It was nice. fantastic, um, which actually is, speaking of things that make me happy, um, <laughs> so at the time, that was a fantastic place to work. So at the time, they would give everyone two two outfits every six months. Oh, that's oh nice. And, of your choice? Uh, no, everyone had the same. So whatever it was, whatever they it. wanted to give you, it was whatever everyone. But it was head to toe. It was shirt, tie, mm -hmm. suit, shoes, and Very cool. it was fantastic. And the suit. One thing I will say about Armani is. Despite the fact that the clothes fall apart, <laughs> they're not, it's not a miss. They details. do fall apart. Small no. details. From this. No, it's it's uh they'll they'll fall at the end of six months. Yeah, they're ready to be retired. But oh. the fabrics that they use, or that is he chooses for his line, are really unique and really different. But still, especially in menswear, fairly muted and very wearable. But at the time, they were all relatively high-waisted, hmm. much more than was to become. And after 99 and in the early aughts, then everything became low-waisted. And that looks good on so few people, whereas higher weight, higher, not, you know, I'm not talking Urkel height, but higher-waisted trousers, they just sit so well in there. They're very elongating. Anyway, the... The suits that they gave us were higher waisted trousers, and those make me happy. That's what's making me happy right Very now. Cool. Are higher waisted trousers with, I might add, a pleat, a single pleat. Oh yes, yes. double happiness. With double <laughs> happiness. Love yes, it. I totally agree with you guys. I think pleats and high waisted pants look fantastic. They, you know, mm -hmm. they elongate they the do. figure. They make it more. Uh, they make it look more tapered, way more elegant. So I'm with you on this one. Yay. Pleats, higher waisted. Pleats and high waist. And white Negronis. And white Negronis. <laughs> <laughs> Take us out, Ariana. Okay. So we're ready to wrap this first episode up. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in the next one. Um, keep following Style Forum on Instagram and, of course, on styleforum.net. See you on the next episode.
Bye. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Bye, Mike. Thank you so much. Ciao. Bye. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us.